You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king to tell the king his dreams. The enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word is from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants <clears throat> sorry, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Good morning. We're in Daniel chapter 2. We started this sermon series in Daniel because, one, I've been wanting to preach through Daniel for a long time. Never, never preached through Daniel in all the years that I've been a pastor. And two, it just speaks into everything that's happening in our world today. And so I, I just feel like it's timely. Daniel Gilbert, a psychologist or a psychology professor at Harvard, believed that the reason why, or believes that the reason why Americans are smiling less and worrying more and why happiness is down and sadness is up is because people do not have enough, it's not because people do not have enough money, but because people are more uncertain about the future than ever before. He said that in 2009. I thought, well, it's certainly true today, right? He actually said in the article, he said this, that an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Our national gloom is real enough, but it isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and uh, he was unhappy. (laughs) Why? Because it, it meant that his future, at least his future, seemed uncertain. And he wasn't sure what was coming. So what did he do? He, he got the, the, the professionals of his day, you know, the worship leaders of his day, pagan worship leaders, to interpret a dream that he would not tell them about. 
These guys were magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans were actually astrologers to, to help him make sense of this crazy dream. And uh, because he wouldn't tell them what the dream was, they could not interpret the dream. In fact, dreams in Nebuchadnezzar's day were thought to be shadows of the future cast in front of itself, tipping its hand to show what lay ahead. So this was, it was a logical thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. He's like, well, I had this dream. Surely it's telling me about my future. It's troubling. Uh, I, I can't sleep now as a result. These guys should be able to tell me what it means. The magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers were, uh, were the equivalent of our psychics you know, today. Mediums, you know, people of that nature. In fact, Yelp recently published an economic impact report in light of COVID and noted that its supernatural readings business category was up 140% in 2020 and 2021. In fact, one astrologer recently was quoted as saying this, there has never been a time like this. I think everybody wants to know if their life is going to you know, go on and if there's anything in the future that they can look forward to. There's a guy by the name of S.M. Lockridge who is a pastor who's now home with Jesus. I actually have listened to his, his most famous sermon, which you can Google it, and you can find it, and you can listen to it. There are different versions of it, because he's preached it probably dozens of times, titled The Lordship of Christ. In that sermon, he said this, and I just think it speaks into what we're seeing in our day and age. He said this, We are forever blowing bubbles, looking for ships that never come in, chasing pots of gold at the end of receding rainbows. Now when a child blows bubbles, he's not concerned about values. He's thrilled as long as the bubble lasts, and when it bursts, he simply blows another. How do you expect your ships to come in when you've sent no ships out? And you never will find the proverbial pot of gold because you try to ignore him who has the rainbow wrapped around his shoulder. And uh, it's true. Actually, uh, I've quoted A.W. Tozer uh, numerous times. This quote should be familiar to some of you, but I just want to share it again. He said, The greatest question before the church is always God himself, and the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Nebuchadnezzar, actually historically, was a very religious person. Uh, he's a very spiritual person. But the gods that he trusted in, that he believed in, shaped his, his you know, choices and his decisions. He was not a godly person. In fact, I mean, you know, <laughs> it was not a good day for, for anybody that was in his court because he said, look, if nobody can be found to interpret this dream, um, you're not getting a pay cut. You're literally going to be cut to pieces he said, if you're not able to do what I'm asking, I will literally cut you into pieces. And he meant it. And not only will I do that, but I'm going I'm to level your home, your household. Basically, you will have no heritage left. I will kill everybody. Not a godly person. And this is what Daniel and his three uh, companions were faced with. They were faced with a very large problem, a God-sized problem. Some time ago, I quoted John Piper uh, something he wrote in his book, Spectacular Sins. 
and you're, you're probably familiar with the quote if you've been here for more than a few months. Um, he said, the coddled Western world will sooner or later give way to great affliction. Now, he wrote this in 2008, I believe. Um, he said, the coddled Western world will sooner or later give way to great affliction, and when it does, whose vision of God will hold? Where is the Christian mind and soul being prepared for the horrors to come? Christians in the West are weakened by wimpy worldviews, and wimpy worldviews make wimpy Christians. God is weightless in our lives. He is not terrifyingly magnificent. His sovereignty is secondary at best to his sensitivity. And then he went on to explain why, why he feels that this is true of the American church. Why is it that the American church is anemic? Now, this is not a poo-poo the American church sermon, but he said something that's startling and I think true. He said, what is missing is the Bible. I mean, the whole Bible with its blood and guts and sins and horrors, and all of it under the massive hand of God, the hand whose fingers flick stars into being, the hand that gives life and takes it, the hand that rules everything, everything. What we need to know, or what we need is to know the great things about God. Knowing great things about God will help us, you know, will make us ready not to collapse under cataclysmic conflict and personal catastrophe. Daniel and his three friends had this huge view of God. They knew who Yahweh was. They knew who the God of creation was. And when they were faced with this, this God-sized problem, they didn't wig out. So their problem was God-sized. That one of the, the, this prayer that Nebuchadnezzar prayed uh, before his coronation actually can be found, I believe, in some museum in England somewhere. And I'll just read a portion of it, just so you can hear its tone. To Marduk, my Lord, I make supplication. O eternal Prince, Lord of all beings, guide, guide in the strength, or guide in the straight path the, the King whom you love and whose name you have proclaimed as is pleasing to you. I am the Prince, your favorite, the creature of your hand. You have created me and trusted me with dominion over all people. Like, he prayed that before his coronation. That's in a museum somewhere. Like, archaeologists unearthed that. And um, if, uh, if the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans could do what they claimed that they could do, then it would have been no problem for them to be able to tell the king his dream without the king telling them his dream. Here's what I want you to hear and just know at the very, just at the very beginning. The magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, the astrologers, they're no different than the psychics, mind readers, palm readers, tarot card readers, you name it, of our day. Here's, here's the thing. Behind every, every idol... That is, behind every idol that is worshipped is a demon. Now, the reason why psychics, palm readers, tarot card readers, astrolog astrologers, your horoscope, like that's crap, like you need to stay away from it, it's demonic. And, and the reason why some of that, uh, the reason why some of these people are able to speak into your life a little bit and tell you things that maybe nobody else knew is because, listen, demons and Satan have been around a long time. 
they have had the opportunity and the privilege of observing mankind for thousands of years. You know what they're really good at? Making pretty good, accurate guesses. And, uh, and so in the king's court, you had, these, you had this, this demonic presence represented with these guys, these individuals. And what Nebuchadnezzar was unaware of is that his gods were not alive. And that demons are defeated. Satan is defeated. The Bible actually says that, uh, that Satan defeated him, at, or not, that Jesus defeated him at the cross, and, and, and that, the, the, that one day he's going to crush him, and that he will be cast into the lake of fire. That was last week's sermon, or the week before. And, and so Isaiah says this of idols. He says, to Let's read this together, actually. This is good for us to read. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that move. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not what? Move. It's dead. In fact, Paul said this of idols that are worshipped by people who do not know God. What pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. That's true. The demonic world is real. I hesitate to, to even talk about it because it's, it's, they're powerful. But God is all-powerful. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're a Christian, that's where your authority comes from. I had a mentor who said, if you're ever going to, uh, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're confronting the realm of the demonic, uh, you better be sitting in the lap of Jesus. Now, I've been a pastor for a while, and I, I can count on one hand instances where I, I was you know, forced to deal with these kinds of things. I, one time I was asked to investigate a potential demon possession. Another time I had a pastor call me and ask if I would go with him because a, pa- a family in his church were seeing shadows in their house and it was wigging them out. I drove with him and then we drove up to the house and as soon as I put my foot on the property, I immediately got nauseous and lightheaded and I started praying right away. And I prayed, God, just, you know, Take this away. And immediately I felt better. And I walked through the house with my pastor friend and we prayed over the house and read scripture through the house. But you don't do that lightly. And it's real. It's real. And, and the power behind mediums and, and astrologers, it's real. It's not fake. But it's demonic. And what God creates and calls good, Satan counterfeits to keep you from God. These, these guys that were in, these individuals that were in the king's court were there to keep Nebuchadnezzar as far away from the true God, the God of all creation, as humanly possible. But what Satan, listen, what Satan and demons cannot do, what they cannot do is they cannot, they cannot predict the future. The only one who knows the future is the author of the future, the one who writes the fu- has written the future already, and that is God. And, and, and so they can't, they can't tell the future, nor can they shape the future. I said last week Satan is on a leash. It's a long leash. It's a leash. 
And one day he and all the other demons that are under him will be thrown into the lake of fire. Nathan and I were talking last night, and he's got a friend who's, who's uh, preaching at Cheyenne Hill. So that's where Nathan, my oldest son, is at right now. And uh, just listening to, and supporting his friend. He said his friend is feeling like he's possibly called into ministry. And, he, and Nathan made a comment, something to the effect of, you know, don't do it. <laughs> uh, don't do it. And I said, well, it couldn't have been that bad being, being my son. <laughs> and he said, he said, no, Dad, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spiritual warfare dy- dynamic of our family that we've experienced. It's real. But the, the, the reason why Daniel and his friends didn't wig out is because they understood who God was. The one thing that, the, that these guys, these de- demon-possessed, influenced individuals, the one thing that they did get right, and the one thing that was true, is that they understood that there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. There was not one man on earth that could meet the king's demand. And so what did the king say? Well, then it's, it's going to be a death sentence if you don't find somebody fast. So Daniel caught wind of it. And he, he heard about this because the death sentence also applied to Daniel and his three, his three friends. And so, so if, if nobody was found, Daniel and his three friends would be cut to pieces also. They were faced with a God-sized problem that only God could fix. Anytime you're faced with a God-sized problem, your first response shouldn't be, what do I have in my resources to be able to deal with this thing? Nothing. Anytime you're faced with a God-sized problem, you have nothing that you, you can bring to the table. The only thing that you can bring is, a, <laughs> is to be on your knees seeking God to change the circumstances. Um, God is in control of our future. He holds the future in his hand. And so the, the demotion of all these people who work for the king was not a pay cut, but they'd be cut to pieces. So what did they do? What did Daniel and his, and his three friends do? They prayed. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a Bible, I mean, you, you might want to see this. In verse 17, it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, he, he let them know. He said, look, this is, this is the edict of the king. This is what the king said. What it was, so what, what, was it, what was their response? Was it to find some horses and get out of Dodge quick? Was, it, was that their response? No. They, they, they went before the presence of God because they understood that only God could change their circumstances. And so, so they prayed. They prayed. Daniel said, seek the mercy of or seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Because he's the only one that can change the circumstances. Now, here's what would not have changed if God decided not to answer Daniel's prayer. What would not have changed was, what all, was everything that was true about God. And we'll see this pop up every once in a while in Daniel, where the future of Daniel and his friends were really uncertain this is one of those. So Daniel said, let's, let's pray. Let's seek the mercy from God, the God of heaven. You know, the Bible says that, that when it comes to God moving and, and, and directing, he, he calls his people to pray and to seek his face. Like over and over again. Every, 
every move of God in human history, every awakening, every revival has happened on the coattails of God's people praying. Every time. He invites us to pray. There are dozens and dozens of verses in the Bible that, that implore us, that call us, that invite us to pray. I'll, list, I'll just read four of them for you. In Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, and this is key, according to his will, he hears us. Not that we ask anything, he's going to answer us. He's not like, listen, listen. God is not some sky fairy in, this, in, in heaven somewhere that's just waiting to just merit blessings on every, on every request that you make of him. Like if you ask him for, a, for more money in your bank account, probably is not going to honor that prayer request unless it lines up with his will. <laughs> And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How are we going to start praying about things that are in line with his will? How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. When you begin listening to him, to his voice that's in the word of God. Jesus said something similar. He said in John 15, he said, look, I'm, I'm the branch, or no, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Anyone who abides in me... Um, and later on it says in that passage, anyone who abides in me, anything that you ask of the Father, he, he, will, he will answer you. We'll answer what? Well, the longer you abide in Jesus, the more your will will begin to line up with God's will. That's what happens when you, when you follow God. The more, the more you abide in Jesus, the more you take up residence in Jesus, the more you listen to his voice and his word, the more your will will begin to line up with his will. And so then when you start to pray, um, as your will starts to line up with his will, do you know what you're going to start requesting, what you're going to start asking? Things that line up with God's will. Daniel and his three friends prayed a prayer that lined up with God's will. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And then here's another familiar one, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, let's, let's read this together. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Like this, this, is, this happens, brothers and sisters. Like God hears his children. He hears his children. I know you've heard the story. Some of you have heard the story more than once. But I, I just feel like I have to share it. Because I can count on one hand where God, uh, in a very tangible way, supernaturally, intervened in my life where it was just obvious, like it was just so obvious. One of those circumstances is when, when um, in I think 2007 or whenever it was, where things were just, the church I was at was jacked up. I, it was not a great place to serve as a pastor. It was hard. It was difficult. Um, and, and I learned that, as you know, my dad died of a heart attack at the age of 47. So I was on cholesterol medicine since I was, four, since I was 25 years old, on blood pressure medicine uh, as well, and some other, other medicines. And, um, 
and I, I was having symptoms, and so I went to the doctor, and he scheduled a CT scan. He did the CT scan, and the CT scan came back with seven lesions of calcified plaque in my left coronary artery and said that I was in the top 2% of not having great arteries. <laughs> Basically, it said uh, that I had the, the statement, what I saw, it, just, it was like, uh, it's pretty much the only thing I saw at that point was that I had a significant likelihood of a cardiovascular event in the next few years. That's what it said. So I had uh, later, in fact, I called Roy Ma. I cried when I called her because I said, I don't want to die the way my father died. And then right after that phone conversation, my cardiologist called and said, hey, we're going to schedule a heart catheterization. Now, I asked this question in the first service. There was only one person that had a heart catheterization. How many of you have ever had a, anybody have a heart catheterization in here? Okay, one. Did one? Uh, not a pleasant experience, right? Not, not fun. Like, people don't sign up for heart catheterizations. It's horrible. So I had one. And, um, or he scheduled one for me. And before, that, was, that heart catheterization, I believe, was on a Tuesday. I was going to a conference on that weekend. And I, uh, I, that weekend, I just said, God, I need to hear from you. And I, play, I, I did what I encourage people don't do. I did Bible roulette. I just opened up the Bible. And, my, and the first passage that my eyes fell upon was what I read. It was Revelation chapter 7. Here's the supernatural part. That Saturday, we're at the, at the, I was at this conference, and we were singing, How Great Is Our God?, and uh, as I was singing it, every single word in Revelation chapter 7 was, like, in my mind. It just hit me like a flood. I, was, I had a strange sensation over me. And it was, if God could, if, like, God spoke to me, but it wasn't an audible voice. It was, but God said, why are you so wigged out about dying? Why are you panicking about this? And I was just at complete peace with the, reality, with the possibility of dying. My heart catheterization was scheduled for that Tuesday, and um, I was, as I was laying on the, the table, and they were looking in my arteries, my cardiologist said to me, Keith, there's nothing there. Well, what do you mean? There's nothing there. That's what he said. I had a follow-up appointment, and I asked him, what do you mean by there's nothing there? Like, I've been on cholesterol medicine forever, and my 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 genetics, are, I'm predisposed to a heart attack. Why, what's, how do you explain that? He said, well, the CT scan must have been wrong. The, uh, you must have good genes. And this is the closest that he came to saying a miracle happened. And I became friends with him after this. He said, uh, and there's something protecting you. Now, what was my response as a result? Did I think, was my thought process Great, now I can eat as much pizza as I want. I can have as many hamburgers as I want because God cleaned out my arteries. My mentor said to me, uh, Ed Hardesty, he said, Keith, I just want you to remember that just as quickly as God cleaned out your arteries, he could put it all back in there. Like, he could put all that stuff back in there. Um, and uh, my response was worship. And that was the response that Daniel had. So, so Daniel, as he was praying, as his friends were praying, God answered their prayers, and he revealed the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had to Daniel. And, and so it was Daniel's response. Was it, 
you know, I'm going to show the king, I'm going to show him, you know, who, who's really God, and I'm going to, you know, did, did he have with grace and charity? No, he wasn't any of those things. He, he responded to the king with grace and charity, but he stood firm on the truth that God is God. He, he is God. In fact, if you, if you have your Bible, you can follow along and, and read with me, or I'll read, and you can follow along, what Daniel's response was. To blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, and he removes kings and sets up kingdoms, or sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in, dark, in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. His response was praise. The response of Daniel and his friends was, was God-centered. It wasn't, you know, look at us, look, look, look how great we are, look, look how important we are. We've got the, the king of kings' ear no, their, their response was God-centered. There are six facts about God that Daniel, <laughs> that Daniel praises God for. You know, six things about God that, or, that, that Daniel grew up reading about in his Bible that he just repeats as he praises God. And I, I just want to show those to you. One, only God is wise. Like the, 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 the sorcerers and the astrologers are fools, but God is wise. He is wise. Only God is powerful. Like He is the one who gives power to kings and presidents. He does. Nothing catches them by surprise. Only God is unchanging. He is unchanging. Listen, God is unchanging. He is not schizophrenic. He doesn't have a personality disorder. He is the same yesterday and, and today. He does not change, but he does change times and seasons. You want to know who, who holds the future of our nation? God does. Not the Democratic Party, nor the Republicans. God holds our future. And only God is sovereign. Therefore, he removes and empowers kings. I, I keep going to that. This is why Daniel wasn't wigged out by the king's demands. Do you, like, do you think Nebuchadnezzar was godly? Do you think that he loved his neighbors? No. He was a godless king. And he was evil in many ways. And who was it that God put Nebuchadnezzar in power? Or I mean, I just gave you the answer. Who, who put Nebuchadnezzar in power? God did, right? God put him in power. Only God is able to reveal a future that he has already written. Let that settle on your heart for a little bit. God has written our future out. He's, our future is written. He is sovereign. And... Uh, he is the only one capable of revealing what is in the future. That's why, you know, horoscopes and, and 
you know, mediums and psychics and tarot card readers, that's demonic. It's demonic. In fact, the Bible has very strong words about, about these kind of individuals. It says, stay away from them. Stay away from them. I mean, the power behind them is real. But they're not all powerful. Quested a, an appointment with the king. And after God revealed to Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he requested a, an appointment with the king. And notice what the king asked in verse 26. He says, are you, he asked this of Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Are you, Daniel, able to interpret the dream for me? Are you able to tell me this dream that I had that I'm not going to tell you the details of? Are you able to do this for me? Notice Daniel's answer in verses 27 through 28. Daniel, Daniel answered the king and said, and now if you can picture the courtroom, you know, or the king's court, you had most likely the astrologers and these magicians and these sorcerers in the same room with Daniel. Daniel answered the king, he said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. I can't imagine how just, you know, these guys probably had their teeth gritted together, like, I'm going to murder this guy, right? But at the same time, Daniel is there to, to, to save their lives, too. Like, his, the result of him being there would result in their lives being spared. So he said, none of these guys are able to do what only one being is able to do. And he said, but there is a God in heaven, only one. Not your gods, Nebuchadnezzar, not their gods, only one God. And I think Daniel said this in a very charitable, gracious, loving way. But you want to know something? He stood on the truth of God's word. He didn't wince. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days? Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. And then he unpacks the dream. That's next week, by the way. Next, so next week, I'm going to talk about Daniel, Daniel's dream or Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of it. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Daniel's presence in the king's court, his response to the king, along with his three friends, was countercultural. Here's what you need to hear, brothers and sisters. If you are going to follow Jesus, if you are a Christian, a genuine Christian who's placed, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus' request of you, it's not even a request, it's a, it's a command, that you take up your cross and follow him. By default, you, have, you are called to live your life in a countercultural way against the culture of the spirit of the age, against the culture of the spirit of Babylon. And, and the, the, or the, the place of God's people all throughout human history has always been on the margins. Like if this picture is like the center, God's people have always been on the margins. The place of, of being disrespected, the place of being hated, the place of, 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 of being, you know, killed, martyred. 
God's people, by their, just by default, were always countercultural. Daniel and his three friends are countercultural in, the, in, in their posture, but not in a way that they were jerks about it. That's what we can learn from Daniel. Like by following Jesus, that is not, like when Jesus says, hey, I want, you, I, I want you to take up your cross and follow me, Jesus is not giving his followers a hall pass to be jerks for him. Like there are no jerks for Jesus in God's kingdom. Okay? Like, like Jesus doesn't tell his people, all right, in my name, storm the Capitol building. You know, that, that hurts a little bit, but... We're called to follow Jesus, and by following him, we are countercultural. What does that mean? That means we stand against evil. But we can do that without being a jerk. We can do that firmly. We can say, no, I can't. I cannot obey these rules. I can't. I just can't. You know, in the, in the 50s and 60s, like Billy Graham, in one of his crusades, said, we are not segregating whites and blacks at my crusade. And he asked one of the head ushers, I, I want you to take that rope down. We're not, uh, we're not doing segregation here. It's not a part of God's kingdom. Take it down. The head usher quit. So Billy Graham walked down and took, down, took the rope down. And, and it w- was he a jerk about it? No. He was a follower of Jesus, and by default, he, was a, he, he, he stood against the spirit of the age. And the same is true today. We're called to do the same thing to stand against the spirit of the age as we hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who would hear the gospel. That's what our people need. That's what our, that's what our, what our city needs. That's what our nation needs. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of our day, the power of, uh, the, the power of politicians and kings, the belief that you are the captain of your own ship and the master of your own fate, the illusion of power, the ideology that you can create your own identity, the worship of self over the God who created all things, all of it is meant to rob and to destroy. Like the God of this age, the spirit of Babylon, Satan, his demons, he he wants to trick you, dupe you into thinking, make a counterfeit of something that would lead you to believe that if you go down this path, this is what thriving is going to, thriving is at the end of this path. If you just go down this path and what he intends for you is death and and his intention is to rob you of the joy that God wants for you. Like the Equality Act is where, where, like my mentor said, or one of them said, you know, I had a professor who said, sin is irrational, like makes no sense. Like if you think about the Equality Act that may pass, um, to raise a person's self-sexual identification to the status of ethnicity does not elevate what it means to be created in the image of God. It devalues what it means to be human. Our culture, the spirit of the age, says, at the end of this is thriving. At the end of it is death. And it's not joy. I said this a while back, like when you read the Bible, like this is not God's method of, of, of killing your joy. 
the Bible. It's not God's method to rob you of your joy. It is to lead you to the place of thriving and joy. Like the author of sex, the author of, of, of life knows, knows where, where, you ought to, where you can find joy and thriving. And he tells us how we can do that in his book. Everything outside of it is a spirit of, our, of the age. It's the spirit of Babylon. The, and I'm, I'm going to end it here, the, the climax of, of wisdom, God's wisdom and power put on display is seen at the cross. And when I say at the cross, I mean that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a life that, that we could never live, a perfect life, in a complete obedience to the law of God, that he was uh, crucified on a cross, a death that you and I deserved. He was crucified and cursed on the cross in our place. And he was buried, on the uh, buried in a grave, and on the third day he rose from the grave. The, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, wrote in 1 Corinthians, that when the world considers that, when the spirit of the age considers that, it's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness. But it's through that that God dis displays his power, his perfect power and his perfect, his perfect wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, <laughs> and this day is coming, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. I'm going to do it. Like all of history is moving in a direction. Nothing will thwart the direction that all of history is moving towards. And one day it's going to climax in Satan having his head crushed, being cast in the lake of fire along with his demons, and, 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 and then one kingdom will exist, and that will be the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about this next week, but I want to just kind of give you like the little, call it a trailer, of what's coming next week. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream was how how uh, all of history was going to end. He said, and in the day of those kings, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall, listen, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Amen? Like, Jesus is coming, and he's setting up his kingdom, and it will endure forever, forever. The spirit of Babylon is a counterfeit of the kingdom of God. It's a counterfeit of, uh, of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wisdom and power of God who will reign as the king of kings and lord of lords. And to follow Jesus, to be associated with the kingdom of God, is to live in a countercultural way, by default, by default. And our world so desperately needs the gospel. That's where joy can be found. That's where thriving can be experienced. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. That is the avenue to thriving and joy. And if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, the Bible says 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says that there is no, there's salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus. And God offers it out to you free of charge. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just need to receive it and believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. Thank you for the gospel, the greatest news in the universe. God, I thank you that you hold the future not only in your hand, you have written the future. And all things are moving in a direction where we know that because Jesus wins, we win. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.